Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel fills us in on National Bullying Prevention Month. Mike Grimm previews the Minnesota Lynx finals run, and we get another unique commentary from Bill Werner. But first, the Congressional Medal of Honor Society held its annual convention in the Twin Cities this past week. Forty of the Society's 77 living recipients were on hand for the event. I had the good fortune of speaking with Society President Tom Kelly about the convention, about his service, and about the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor uh, was... uh started back in 1861 during the Civil War by uh, President Abraham Lincoln. And at first it was only for uh, enlisted uh, personnel of the United States Navy. And then uh, a few years later, another medal was struck, uh, Congressional Medal of Honor for the Army. And it was uh, open to uh, not only enlisted uh, soldiers and sailors, but also to uh, all ranks. And then uh, in um, 1947, when the United States Air Force was born, a third medal, uh, was established, and so there were three. And uh, since 1861, about 3,600 uh, medals have been awarded. And it's for it's for uh, uh, heroism uh, in uh, combat against a, a foreign enemy, basically. And Tom, you yourself are a recipient of the Medal of Honor, is that right? That's correct. I was awarded mine for uh, service in Vietnam with the United States Navy back in 1969. <clears throat> Can you tell me just a little bit about your experience and, and what led to you receiving the Medal of Honor? Well, very briefly, uh, I was uh, part of a joint Army-Navy operation whereby the Navy boats, uh, about 55-foot boats, would take uh, soldiers around the rivers and the canals of South Vietnam and provide fire support for them, drop them off, pick them up, move them to a new location. And on one of these occasions, uh, one of the boats had a problem, couldn't get its uh, ramp up. So they were kind of sitting on the bank of the canal, uh, uh, kind of vulnerable. And uh, so at the same time, the uh, the enemy opened fire from the opposite bank. So uh, I, I moved my boat for, um, where I was right in front of where the fire was coming from and around came in and detonated and uh, hurt me kind of badly, but uh, we were able to keep on going and got everybody out of there. Tom, in a situation like that, what's going through your mind? Is it all instinct, or does does fear enter into it? Adrenaline? Tell me a little bit about that. All, all of the above. <laughs> First of all, uh, incredu- uh, inc- being incredible because uh, you don't think it's supposed to happen to you. It happens to the other guy. Uh, you're always fearful of uh, not necessarily getting hurt or wounded, but uh, of, of not doing your job and letting your fellow soldiers and sailors down. Uh, and adrenaline kicks in for sure. And uh, plus the training you've had before, you know, you've done this over and over again. And uh, so you do what you're really trained to do. Tom, it sounds to me like a, a heroic act. And I know that uh, the recipients of the Medal of Honor are are being rewarded for heroic acts. And yet you folks tend to downplay the 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 bravery and the courage that it takes to to achieve what you've achieved. Well, uh, you know, there are so many people who have served over the years, uh, uh, 16 million or 25 million or something like that, and any one of them would have done the same thing we did. We just happened to be in a position to uh, to uh, act in a certain way, but I, I trust that most, if not all, of uh, those who have served would have done exactly the same thing. If you don't mind, Tom, can you tell me a little bit about the convention itself and, and what the purpose is? Well, we... we, we 
go to a different city every year. And uh, uh, this is our first time, obviously, in uh, the state of Minnesota or the Twin Cities. And uh, last year we were in Boston, Massachusetts, and next year we're going to Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, but uh, we have 77 living recipients right now, and I think about 40, 41 of us are here um, for this convention. We came in yesterday. And we'll be here through uh, Sunday. We leave on Sunday. And one of the most important things we do during the week is uh, we go out and visit uh, schools in the area. And I think 22 schools are involved, whereby one or two of us will go to each school and just talk to the the, the, the kids, uh, mostly high school, uh, about the values uh, of the Medal of Honor, you know, and, and hoping that we can teach them that it's it's good to have uh, integrity, uh, patriotism, um, service to others above yourself, uh, loyalty, uh, integrity, that type of thing. And for the first time, uh, we've developed a curriculum for elementary schools. So I'm, I have the pleasure of uh, going to, uh, I believe, a second grade class tomorrow in, uh, I think it's called Columbia Heights, and uh, we're going to introduce this elementary school curriculum. Can you tell me a little bit, Tom, about what the reaction of, of high school students is to uh, Medal of Honor recipients and, and what you've been through? I, I imagine it's uh, it's an experience that most of us really can only imagine, and, and, and it probably doesn't even scratch the surface. What kind of reactions do you get from students? Well, we, we, we try to tell, particularly in the high school level, that you know uh, most of us went into the service just a little bit older than what they are right now. And, uh, you know, we, we were not supermen or superheroes or everything. We're just ordinary folks like they were. But ordinary people can do extraordinary things uh, in or out of the uh, military, in or out of law enforcement and public safety. Uh, you know, just uh, going over and telling a bully to stop uh, bullying somebody in the classroom. Uh, that's courage. And any one of them can do it. So we, we try to bring it to their level. When you get the Medal of Honor recipients together like this each year, uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, what the atmosphere is like and, and how you folks interact with each other. Because I I imagine that your experience is such a, a rare and unique one that it must be a, a common shared experience but amongst you. Well, we're all different, believe me. Uh, we're very different. And uh, again, we're all, you know, city boys, farm boys, uh, you name it. Uh, before we went in, and uh, we're still the same person we were before. So we just kind of catch up on things. Uh, we don't talk a lot about what we did in, in while we are in the service, except some of the funny stories, maybe. But uh, it's mostly just uh, how you've been doing and uh, what's new with your life and that type of thing. Do you have uh, one one such funny story that uh, is shareable with me today? Uh, probably, probably not, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, if you have any uh, message for our listeners out there, because I, I imagine that most of our listeners, when yeah. they hear this, like myself, uh, want to express our uh, admiration for you and our appreciation for what you've done, what would you say? Uh, what would you say back to us? Well, I would say we're very happy to be here. We want to thank uh, the folks from uh, the state of Minnesota, and particularly the Twin Cities area, for having us. We want to meet as many of you as possible, and remember, every one of us. Have, is a hero in some way or can be a hero in some way and it uh, doesn't have to be wearing a uniform or anything but just doing the right thing and being kind to somebody uh, and going out of your way to uh, put others above yourself any, any one of us can do it alright Tom well I appreciate your time I appreciate your service thank you so much okay Scott thank you I'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this
Sometimes, a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. October marks the 10-year anniversary of National Bullying Prevention Month. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Joining me now is Julie Herzog, director of Pacers National Bullying Prevention Center, which is located right here in the Twin Cities. Thanks for taking the time to visit with me today, Julie. I'm happy to be on. Wanted to talk with you a little bit. Um, I cannot believe uh, that this month marks the 10-year anniversary of National Bullying Prevention Month. Can you tell us a little bit about this month and I guess the journey we've taken to get here? Oh, absolutely. And I think journey is the right word because, you know, in 10 years, there's a lot of history, a lot of things that happened. And I would say in 2006, when Pacer Center here in Minneapolis, we were the originators of the month. And in 2006, it was actually a week long um, because at that time, there wasn't any sort of awareness raising event. And, um, you know, as as communities got interested in this and started taking action, um, in 2010, we expanded it to the entire month of October because there was such an interest in the opportunities to share information about bullying and to raise awareness and to educate uh, not only kids in our schools, but also communities as well. And when we talk about bullying, do we have any statistics out there about how many um, children this involves? Well, I think people would be surprised by the statistics, and there is a lot of variance, but we found that pretty consistently that one, almost one out of every four students will be bullied this year. And I would also say there's probably a lot of underreporting with that because so often kids don't talk about being bullied. And, you know, and even within that statistic, I would say that there's certain populations of kids that are bullied at a much higher rate. Uh, for example, our organization works a lot with students with disabilities, and it's reported that students with disabilities are, are bullied two to three times more than their non-disabled peers. And so, you know, that's, that's pretty heartbreaking when you think about how many kids are experiencing this issue. And is this happening across all ages? Yeah, you know, our 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 agency focuses on K through 12 and I would say that frequently we'll hear that bullying occurs at a much higher rate in middle school than it does in other times during the kind of the lifespan. Um, but it does occur even as young as kindergartners we're hearing about who are being hurt or harmed or mistreated. And wanted to visit with you a little bit. Um, if you're a parent out there listening to this today that uh, maybe has that fear that their child is being bullied, what is a good first step? 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and that first step is, is having that conversation with your child from a very young age and, and letting them know that if somebody is hurting or harming them um, in any way and they're having a hard time stopping it on their own, number one, you know, tell them it's not their fault and that you're going to be there to support them, to help them figure out a plan about how to make it stop. And, um, you know, and just always keeping that door of communication open because so often when kids are being um, mistreated or bullied, they don't tell an adult. And so it's an important first step to just open those doors of conversation. And is there any signs a parent can be watching for? Yeah, I would say it's different for different ages, um, but for younger children, you want to just be watching for, you know, are they showing, you know, maybe your child loved always riding the bus, and you're finding that for whatever reason, they're they're saying they don't want to ride the bus anymore. You know, there might be a reason behind that. Maybe they're getting teased on the bus, or maybe somebody's throwing things behind them um, or doing something inappropriate. And another sign is just kids not wanting to go to school and maybe saying, you know, maybe they're saying they have stomach aches more frequently or headaches. And those stomach and headaches might be very real because kids who are bullied oftentimes start to feel physical and emotional symptoms. And that response of theirs is to say, oh, I don't want to go to school because they don't want to face what's happening to them. You know, and that got me thinking as a parent, you know, when you're when you're having this conversation with your child, I know one of the things that that I remember being bullied when I was little and I remember begging my mom not to go to my teacher, not to go to that supervisor. Should parents reach out to administration? I, you know, and I think that that's a common response for kids because they think that um, telling an adult might make it worse or they're, they're fearing their parents' reaction. And, and again, it goes back to that parent reaction when your child does tell you, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to hear and you're going to have that emotional reaction to it because you don't want to see your child harmed. You want to see them safe. Um, but, you know, you want to make sure that you're not overreacting to it too, that you want to get all the facts. You want to help them develop a plan. You want to make sure they feel supported. So that's step one is making sure that your child feels in a good place. And then step two is, I, you know, I always encourage parents to ask, um, you know, what do you want to see happen in the situation? Um, and help them problem solve the solution. But two, with that, I would always encourage them, them, encourage parents to let the, you know, to talk with a child and say, I think we should tell your teacher and let them know what's happening so that they can help watch out for you and keep you safe. But involve them in that conversation too. And I think keeping that door, you know, open, um, a door of communication open with your child is just as important to keep the door of communication open with your, with your child's teacher because they see your child interacting with kids at school. They know what their relationships are. They know what's happening. And so having that, that access is, is really critically important. And, you know, something that's been hard for me to watch over the years is that bullying doesn't just end on the school playground anymore. It's being carried over into, you know, the Internet, social media. Have you folks seen that over the years as well? Absolutely. I, You know, with the advent of social media and kids having increased access to technology, whether it's their cell phones or through texting or taking photos or using social media, um, as that access grows, so does the access to bully somebody. 
And it's incredibly important for us to be talking to our kids about, you know, what we call cyber safety. And just as we would, you know, give them rules about going to the mall um, and saying, you know, here's your guidelines, here's when you need to be home, and um, here's the rules. You also want to be setting up those same rules for their use of their cell phones or social media. And I always caution parents, too, that, you know, when you're setting out those rules, make sure that you talk to your child and say, if you're being hurt or harmed um, by somebody's words or action, I want you to be talking to me about that. And um, and also let them know, you know, kids so often won't tell when they're being bullied on the phone or on a computer because they think that their parents are going to restrict their access to it. Because, again, that's a very parental response to say, well, I'm going to protect my child by just not letting them go online or use technology. But that's where our kids live these days. And so by teaching an appropriate response, we're really empowering them to um, keep themselves safe. For more information on National Bullying Prevention Month, you can go to pacer.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Lynx have won three of the past five WNBA championships, and they're now trying to make it four of the last six and two straight. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm chatted with Minnesota native Lindsey Whalen, point guard for the Lynx. 
Scott Lindsay Whalen is a Hutchinson native, a former golfer star, and a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's now trying to lead the Lynx to yet another title, this time against the Los Angeles Sparks. The best of five finals begin on Sunday in Minneapolis, and Whalen is ready to enjoy. It's fun. It's kind of, I was ready to come back to practice yesterday, you know, watch the, our games versus L.A., so you kind of get a familiarity with what they're going to do, and I felt like um, today was a, was a good day for us, and we're excited for the series to start. What did you find out uh, looking back at the film? What will the key be for you guys as you head into this best of five set? They're a great team. I was watching. They're a really great. They made. They kind of you know sped us up in a couple games, and we got to take care of the ball. We got to make sure we're on it. We're cutting well. Um, we're playing as a team. That's a big thing. And playing defense. You can give yourself a chance to win a championship if you play defense. We've done that all year. Job's not finished yet. That's what it's going to take in this series in the finals to to come out on top, play really hard, and uh, make sure our defense is on point. You guys have not won back-to-back. You've won three of the last five. And I know that, like, this second, that's not something on your mind. But in terms of being able to say, yeah, we've done that, what um, what kind of motivation does that provide? You know, um, it's been a fun year. So this team deserves it just as how we've approached every day. And um, it's a lot of fun to be in this position. So, you know, the repeat, you know, it's um, it's out there, something that, of course, if we want to win championship, that's what that would mean, is that we would repeat. But it's not something that we're too, too like I said, concerned about or focused. You know, we don't want to have that be pressure. And I think we're a different team than even 2014 or 2012 when we had a chance. We're different now. We're a little older, more mature. I feel like we all know that the motivation is to be playing really well. We want to win a championship. Everybody knows that. Everybody's going to be going for it. And we'll just um, we'll keep working hard. And um, we know the end result is if we, we work hard, we feel like we give ourselves a great chance um, to do it. LA's feeling that way too and that's what's great about the finals is everybody's feeling they're feeling great we're feeling great and now we get to go out and and play and and see see what happens. At the end of the finals last year into the postseason you were kind of fighting for your life you were fighting through injuries Um, you didn't play overseas how you feeling right now uh, winding this down? It's nice it's nice to feel feel healthy at this point of year I mean everybody's got a little something here there it's just the time of year but um, I feel really fortunate and really good that I'm that I'm feeling well and able to come into these finals feeling feeling confident and I know they're going to put us in hard spots it's going to be ups and downs it's not going to go perfectly but um, you know you can always it's always a fun feeling nice feeling to know you're going in feeling feeling well feeling healthy give yourself the best chance and we got a really deep team too so you go out there you play your minutes hard and somebody else who is a great player is coming in and that's our, our mindset. What a year, too. You guys uh, win gold. You and three of your Lynx teammates, an opportunity now, if you play good basketball, to, to also win the, the league title here. What, uh, what would that mean when you think about uh, what this year in, totally encompasses? It'd be a good year. Be a good year. It'd be uh, be fun, but uh, you know we got we got some work to do before that, of course. And I, I know you know that, but uh, it would be it would be very special. But uh, you know to do it with these guys and with this team is is something that would be very cool and. Um, like I said, we're going to work really hard these next couple of days in order to get ourselves in that position to be there and to be feeling good going into the um, into the finals. And um, you know, it would it would be a very special year. It's 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 already you know been special, but you know, you of course you want to you want to end it um, the way on on the goal that you that we all set out to do. Um, but we got work to do yet. Take us back to Rio. What was that like? I mean, how much fun was it to uh, get up on the podium again and hear the anthem play? Yeah, that was nice. I mean, that never gets old. That never that never gets old. It was cool to uh, have that moment with the t- our teammates who were there, not just the Lynx, but everybody who put everything into that whole um, you know month-long thing. It's also a four-year process of getting in the pool, making the team, making the World Championships team, winning that. It, it, it's a process, and it's... It's, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of mental and physical determination, and when you can cap it off with the gold, it's, it's pretty sweet. 
Now, I've got you on the Minnesota Mount Rushmore. I mean, you think about what you've done with the Gophers and now with the Lynx and the Olympics. Do you ever take a step back and just think about all the different things you've been able to experience and really incorporate your home state in that? That's what it's all about. I mean, including everybody, I feel like hopefully people have had a good run and a really fun ride on this stuff that we've gotten to do. And I, I love that I've been a part of some special teams, you know. Um, being able to do it here at home where it's, you know, obviously it's where I'm from, it's where my family's from, it's really special. And um, thank you for the compliment. I mean, there's a lot of great athletes that have come out of this state, but um, it's been fun what we've been able to do. That's been the main thing is it's been pretty cool to uh, look back on all this stuff and think about it. And probably this off season, I'll look back at this year and probably in 10 years when I'm finally retired, I'll look back on everything then. But uh, it's been fun and it's cool to, to be a part of it still. I saw you tweeting the other night on the Vikings. I know the Gophers have a game against the Hawkeyes. Vikings got a big game again this weekend. I mean, you follow you follow it all. Are you trying to let the Lynx ride this wave in with the whole with the Vikings doing what they're doing and everything else? Everybody, everybody, yeah, you got it. It's a great sports state. I love it. I love all the teams, and um, you know, I follow it all for sure. And um, it's been fun to uh, see the Vikings off of the start. Gophers were three and one, and T Wolves are about to start up. So it's fun to to follow everything and. Volleyball, I think, is number one in the nation right now. It's 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 pretty sweet and one of those things that you wanna. We've had success, so we want everybody to be feeling good and having success. So um, it's pretty cool to to be a part of. You know, a lot of a lot of teams are doing well right now, and I'm I'm happy about it. Enjoy the finals. No doubt. Thanks. That's Link Star Lindsey Whalen on Minnesota Matters. Scott. Thank you, Mike. We'll be back to wrap things up with a commentary from Bill Warner after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. MN's Bill Werner is off this week somewhere out on the back roads of northeast Minnesota and Ontario. He's been looking at leaves and trying to see a moose and thinking about the highways that got him there. Minnesota and America is celebrating the 60th anniversary of the interstate highway system. The genesis of this vast network is generally credited to Dwight David Eisenhower, the 34th president of the United States. Less than 10 years before Ike took the oath of office, the beloved general was commanding huge armies to an elusive and bloody victory over an evil enemy across vast expanses in Europe and Asia. And some believe that as president, Eisenhower may have unwittingly unleashed an assault of quite a different sort against the homeland that he dearly loved. The attack was not with tanks and infantry. 
but rather with bulldozers, which first cut swaths for the strips of concrete that would carry the cars, and then pushed each hill into the succeeding valley so that housing could be built for the servicemen and their wives who wanted families. Now that the worst war ever was finally over. The coming of the interstate highways changed the face of America perhaps even more than universal mail delivery or electricity on the farm. But it did something else even more basic. It reinforced our notion that the American frontier is endless. Interstate highways are a uniquely American style of liberty. The ability to go wherever we wish on whim and the money to pay for it. To flee from a burdening past with only a faint idea of where we will ultimately end up. To ignore whatever is between where we are and where we think we want to be. Shut it down! Of course, what is in between where we are and where we want to be is neighborhoods, bisected and riven now by freeways, and the people there of not so much privilege as we, who for a while now at unpredictable times have been literally sitting down in our high-speed operating space, bringing the logistics of our new lives to a grinding halt. You're you're disrupting everyone's uh, peace, you're blocking off highways, people can't get to work, people can't get to their appointments, but, you know, that's what the world's come down to. President Eisenhower once wrote, a people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both. Welcome to America and the interstate highway system in the 21st century. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.